Sabonis. And Sabonis, two-man game inside. Domas, dominant. Dynamite inside on that one. Not afraid. And he got some dog in. And the steal. They can tie it with a three. Murray, yes! A Murray miracle in the desert. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse podcast. My name is Brendan Nunez. Got Anthony Slater of The Athletic joining the show. Um, I am out of town a little bit in San Jose visiting some family, so apologies for if there's a little bit of background noise here, but Slater, again, joining the show. What's up, man? How you doing? What's up? How are you? I am doing well. Um, appreciate you hopping on. You know, we got our first Golden State-Sacramento matchup, albeit preseason. I think we got five more before the end of November. What's like the day, like five and how many days are we talking? Probably like 27 days or something it's, like that. It's a lot. It's a lot, right? We got three more probably in like two weeks, three weeks or something. But the true one that matters is the uh, the in-season tournament one, whichever day that is. One of the Tuesdays mm. and Fridays that they play. You're an in-season tournament guy, huh? Eh, the league is really pushing it, right? I will say this. I would like the Kings or the Warriors to win their pod because then uh, I get to go, go to Vegas. this Final Four in Vegas. I do right. want to see that, right? That's the only part I'm interested in. That's got to be a decent like incentive for the players, right? Like I know there's a little bit of money, but I'd imagine that the trip to Vegas is pulling people a little bit. That might be more interesting to like staffers, beat writers, media than the players cuz yeah, enough. you can go to Vegas but like you have a pretty big game tomorrow. I I don't know, is it big? You know, do you get to Vegas and then it's like you party in Vegas and then you send your second unit out there to start and you don't care? I, the league would not like that, I'll tell you that. Yeah, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Um, the last game that we were both at, Sacramento decided to start Chris Duarte, which, you know, Mike Brown said a couple days prior that, you know, he'd be shocked if he changed the starting lineup. I think this was just something to let Duarte get a little bit of reps with DeMontis Sabonis. Maybe you're testing who do you want first off the bench that can run with these guys. Maybe you're testing closing lineups. Um, but a lot is being made of Duarte starting. Excuse me. And it really stood out to me post game in the locker room talking to Kevin Herter. He didn't seem the most excited about having came off the bench, which I think is understandable. Um, but to throw it at you vaguely, what do you think of the addition of Duarte, what he can bring to Sacramento? And do you read into him starting at all? Yeah, I thought it was a little bit of a message. I don't think, and I mean, you, you've been around and, and, uh, followed it, but I don't think Mike Brown's that happy with what's going on defensively and what he wants, what his standards are, you know, turning into in year two, right? He wants a leap. He wants 24 to become 14th in the league, something like that. And, you know, maybe the personnel, um, doesn't allow that, but I just don't think he's been that pleased with effort. Uh, buy-in uh, on the defensive end, particularly point of attack, right? And I don't think it was necessarily only, oh, yeah, I'm only upset with Kevin Herter, but I think he kind of wanted to send a message to the entire roster that this isn't, you know, happy-go-lucky. Last year was so awesome. Let's just roll it into this season. Like, stuff can change. And if, and if you are not playing up to the defensive standards that he's clearly raising, you can get replaced, you know, and I mean, that's not De'Aaron Fox and Sabonis are not going to, but they're probably the only ones I would deem like really safe uh, because I think, you know, if Keegan Murray's just super sluggish defensively for the first two weeks. Like that could be somebody else. Not that Keegan Murray would slip from the rotation. I just think he's just rattling some tables. And I think part of that was, you know, putting Duarte in there because right Duarte like played well in the Anaheim game. He was, yeah. 
I saw the, uh, I saw the media availability where Mike Brown's basically like mimicking like Duarte getting over screens and like chesting up somebody on a post up and, uh, it's small stuff, but uh, he is, I think, trying to show the entire roster. If you do this stuff, you will be rewarded. If you don't do this stuff, you'll be penalized. And I, you know, again, like you said, I don't think this is like permanent change, but it's a message. That's how I read it, at least. Yeah, I definitely could see that. And, you know, he said a bunch like this isn't just a Kevin thing. I do think Kevin is fairly guilty of having his defensive mishaps and the physicality, especially, right? Like I was thinking about this uh, when I was talking on a pod the other day. Like, I can't recall Kevin Herter ever taking a charge. Maybe I got to go back and look at his numbers from last year. Maybe there's one or two, but it doesn't seem like something that happens very often. The rotations, I think the rebounding is something he pushed a lot last year with a lot of the guys. You know, it's it's a team aspect when it comes to the defensive personnel that they have. But I agree with you. I think that makes sense. And the physicality is also a word we've heard a stupid amount of times, really since the postseason. They were talking about physicality in that postseason series a lot against Golden State. But then even in summer league, Coach Luke Laux talking about it a bunch and saying this is going to carry over into the regular season. Um, with Duarte and McGee being the real, like, I guess, defensive acquisitions, the only real changes to this roster defensively in my mind, and such an emphasis on physicality, how much better do you think they can get, right? Started 24th last year, so much of the same guys. How much better can you get when you brought back your top eight guys in minutes? Well, I think that playoff series against the Warriors showed them that they could, they can be better than 24th with, like, the personnel they had, right? They, they, when they scouted and cared and like really were pumped up defensively, like Malik Monk was like bothersome to the Warriors in that series. Remember, I mean, Fox can't do that every night, you know, chase Curry around while also, Hey, you need 32 points. We need you to be the closer. Uh, so he does need help, you know, and Davion Mitchell maybe can be that, but he's small. We'll see what kind of year Davion Mitchell has. Um, but I think Mike Brown is of the belief and a lot of people in the league are of the, of the belief. If you, really buy into a scouting report if you have a good, smart scheme from the coaching staff and you just try really hard and box out and just stay focused. So, you know, over the course of 48 minutes, you might have a few lapses here and there, but generally you you are more focused than the opponent. You should be 15th in the league. There's, like, name the defensive juggernauts out there. I mean, it's a league that, like, again, I just think everyone has flaws. Everyone kind of leans offense. Everyone uh, has a, a targeted shooter like a Grady Dick uh, you know just 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 name uh, every team and we can probably boast it here and name two players in their rotation that you can target um so I think Mike Brown's like hey look like if you actually want to be a second round conference finals title team like just care more try more be more physical uh be more focused on a nightly basis and yeah you can be 16th in the league I mean I would almost, I wish I had the defensive ratings last year up right now. I'd love to go read like who is like, I could even probably get it up quick, but like who is 16th? Who is 18th? Right. Cause that's what we're talking. We're not like, they're not going to be top 10, but you could be 16. Right. No, the teams they were around last year were like, you know, obviously these teams are not really trying to win too many games in the immediate, you know, it's a pretty low starting point. So I definitely could see the jump. They were a lot better in that postseason series. I guess my question is like, can you keep up that level of physicality throughout the course of the entire regular season? And like the physicality probably affected them on offense a little bit, right? You get some tired legs, shots aren't starting to go down. I know Herter talked about like wanting to get in a little bit better shape in the off season because of that. Not that he was in bad shape, but just 
increasing from already a decent starting point. Like, I don't know. I wonder if you can do that physicality consistently for 70 something games in a year. And does that leak over into your offense at all? Yeah. I mean, that's the big question, right? Cause he's on this push right now. Mike Brown is, uh, that, you can't really get you know take your offense much higher right considering what they were but you can take your defense much higher so his clear camp focus early season focus is just jolting the defense not only with some of the stuff we've been talking about but also just you know various lineup combinations um but you could accidentally erode your offense downward there's a whole lot of room under where they were uh and if you know Look, Chris Duarte is not as good an offensive player as Kevin Herter. Certainly not as good a shooter. Your spacing, which was such a big deal for them in the dribble handoff game, right? How much of that? Remember early in the season, what did Herter shoot the first like month and a half last year? Like fifty percent from three, basically. Yeah, yeah, that was the main reason that they they had a great offense. So yeah, you can. He, it's a delicate balance. Um, I do think there's a belief from the coaching staff that hey, you can always fall back on what last year was but they want to see what their upward mobility can be defensively. But yeah, I mean, everything, that's what this entire league is about is a delicate balance. And Vazankov is like a perfect you know, um, doppelganger or whatever you want to call it for this, right? Like you bring him in, you think he's just going to juice the offense. You think this is a piece plug and play sixth, seventh, eighth type man who could get a lot of minutes. What's he sitting at entering the season? Ninth, 10th, 11th. He hasn't looked very good defensively. He, I think he's been as advertised as a shooter cutter, but how many minutes is he going to play opening night? Yeah, I wanted to get in that get into that a little bit with you actually. Uh, eventually we'll get to McGee in a sec, but his Sasha situation is pretty interesting for what you just laid out. Like offensively, I agree. I think as advertised, the cutting looks great. The ball never sticks, really. Like I think that's something coaches mentioned a couple times in these preseason games. Like they're guilty of over dribbling. I don't think that's ever really Sasha. Um he, he keeps the ball moving, cutting's great, shooting's great, he's confident. Um, there's little stuff of like, I think two of his three or four turnovers last game. One was, you know, he, uh, didn't put the ball on the floor soon enough and traveled when he stepped out, out of bounds at three point line. So just little stuff that I, I imagine will get cleaned up. But on a different team, it might be a lot easier to figure out where he fits in a rotation. And with a team that's really, really pushing to get better defensively, like he's looked pretty slow footed. Uh, on the perimeter and there's times where he's kind of out there as the three four with Trey Lyles and another big and maybe they'll play with that a little bit but even like guarding Torian Prince in that Lakers game there were some moments where I was like I don't know about this he's given up middle which I'm sure he'll get used to um, something that coach Brown does not want one of their staples but what have you seen from him defensively early on like do you think that there's would you bet on him finding a way to survive eventually Maybe. I don't know. I mean, the the Warriors game, which I was at the other night, was not that encouraging. Um, he's not very thick. I kind of thought he was a little bit beefier. Um, you know, it, I would say it's a like, you know, covering the Warriors. Like, Nemanja Bielitsa was skinny and could kind of get pushed around, whereas they got Dario Sarge this year. And you're like, ooh, you know, he's got a, a little bit more girth to him. He's not a great defender, but he can just – he can hold up. If a wing goes into his chest, he can kind of bump him a little bit better, whereas – and, you know, Jonathan Kaminga is a very strong, like, elite-level wing athlete. But there was a play when Vizankov guarded him that, you know, Kaminga just barreled right through him easy, you know, uh, right to the rim layup. And those are the kind of plays I know how Mike Brown thinks. He's over there, like, you know, and and for, to Vizankov's 
defense like you know this he's got to get used to it you know when people talk about yeah he's 27 he doesn't have a uh he won't have a uh i guess transition phase because he's already you know an older Euroleague mvp it's like yeah but like there's not uh, jonathan kaminga has a flawed game but there weren't many jonathan kaminga athletes coming downhill in the euro league at sasha vizankov you got to get used to that type of just wing score with that downhill mindset and and jumping ability power uh and i just he, you know, the Kings want to get off to a hot start. He can't kind of ease into it. So, and then I do wonder, uh, does that start to impact his offense? Cause I did think that happened the other night, right? I watched the first few preseason games, even as it's like, oh yeah, he maybe gave up middle. Maybe Mike wasn't happy with this or that. Uh, it was like, well, he's still shooting it, right? The step backs, the dribble handoffs. He looked really in rhythm. I thought against the Warriors, maybe he's in his head a little bit. He's thinking too much defensively. Oh, you know, I don't want to give up middle. I don't want to make this mistake, this or that. He looked kind of out of sync offensively. You mentioned the travel, some of the turnovers that he had that weird shot on the wing, kind of like rattled the bank. Um, yeah. I just, you know, that's what happens sometimes with guys. We, when, when, when they're tasked and judged so harshly and importantly on, on one end that they're not as good at, it can impact the other end. Cause you're just out there thinking about uh, the other stuff. So, it's something to f- certainly monitor, uh, including obviously his. What if he's only getting eight minutes? Right. You talk to bench guys that like if they know, hey, look, I'm getting 20 minutes and I know my rotation. I know the lineups I'm going to play with. I know if I make one or two defensive mistakes, I'm not getting pulled. I'm, they might yell at me, but I'm not getting pulled. That's a lot different than a guy who's like, I'm getting like eight minutes max. And if I make a mistake or two in the first two minutes, I might only get two minutes. Like that starts to everything starts to snowball. Right. Might try to do a little too much offensively. And yeah, I mean, I do go back to this is a guy that has been playing professional basketball for 12, 13 years. This is his fourth team that he's coming into. I know it's his first NBA team. and There's an adjustment to that. But his first Greek League team, he eventually made his way to Barcelona after four years, went to a better team to accept a lesser role. There were kind of some complications there. I think he went through three, four head coaches in his couple years before he eventually went to a better team, another Euro League team. Um, also in the Greek league with Olympiakos, accepted a lesser role to be on a better team and slowly worked his way up. And now he's kind of doing it again. I think he's, from what he's expressed, had the mind, right mindset in approaching it of, you know, one day at a time, I'm going to get better every practice, every game. Um, so I think as long as he's okay with it being a process, that it makes sense. And I don't think there's an aspect of like, oh, we spent so much time and resources trying to recruit this guy. He has to be the part of the rotation. Like, I think if Mike thinks that, he can't keep up defensively, then he's fine with him being not part of the rotation. Like if he, if he doesn't think he can, then he won't be right. Yeah, it will, you know, and again, I, I, I have no idea. I'm not like reporting anything, but then you do wonder like if the front office is probably pretty, you know, interested in, in, in seeing what they have with Vizankov and uh, that kind of back and forth. But uh, he does seem tough. Like you said, like mentally tough because of what he has been through from a, uh, you know, professionally, just older, more mature, um, but you'd like to see some of that toughness show itself on the defensive end. And again, we've seen a few preseason games. It's way too early to judge anything. Sure. Um, and I do, I want to see that, that, that opening night rotation. Yeah, we will see. Um, I want to ask you about McGee. You covered McGee a couple years in Golden State. And let's start with McGee as a, as a person because we've seen him, you know, the Kings are kind of a, quieter group it seems they don't really have um 
all too many vocal guys. Like Fox is a guy that leads by example. Dom also say things here and there. Uh, Malik is kind of almost seems to be like the spirit of the team sometimes last year, but seeing McGee come in and he's already saying things to close out huddles. He's obviously a very vocal guy. Um, what have your impressions been from, you know, the times you've gotten to interact with McGee and how you've seen some of his teammates react to him being as vocal as he is? The Warriors got him when his career seemed over, really like in his early 30s. He just kind of flamed out in Dallas. He had some shin, like, stress fractures, if I remember correctly. But also he just, like, it's funny because the, the Kings got him after he flamed out in Dallas too. But the, the first time he flamed out in Dallas with a Rick Carlisle issue, which would have been at this point like two. Yes. Eight years ago. Um, he, they got him on a non guarantee camp deal where it was like, I can't even remember who he was battling, uh, for a roster spot, like Daniel House or something like that. Um, <clears throat> way back in the day. And the Warrior veterans, and this was the first Kevin Durant season. So there was like a ton of scrutiny, probably the most scrutinized team, at least of like this, like kind of modern era. Um, they kind of wrapped their arms around him. They, they needed, they felt they needed a lob threat. He came in in shape. Andre Iguodala was a huge backer because Andre had played with him in Denver. Uh, they, they liked the talent. And you got to remember, this is Mike Brown's first season as an assistant coach for the Warriors too, same time. Um, and I remember at the, he was just known as a guy who was flaming out of the league, probably wasn't even going to make a roster. And also he was the Shaqed and a Fool MVP. He was like two times Shaqed and a Fool. Like Shaq would just roast him on the weekly. Uh, and the Warriors vets, Draymond, Kevin Durant, I remember pretty harshly went to bat for him, uh, against Shaq and like really, cause they felt, cause JaVel had voiced to them and then ended up voicing publicly that he really thought the Shaqed and a Fool segment he had become like kind of the pinata had ruined his reputation and he thought impacted his money and his financial stability uh at the point of his career that he wanted to be a serious veteran center and um yeah they fought back against that to try to change that reputation against jack and then at the same time like he really did kind of straighten up and uh he turned into like a burst starting center at times for them he started some 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 big games for them playoff games uh i think over two years he you know, caught like 240 lobs or something like that. I mean, cause you can just imagine the space he had in that lineup, but I can remember him at the time really, um, figuring out professionally what it was to be a veteran and, and, you know, complimenting what he saw from, from the Warriors culture, I think did a lot for him, but also I remember he had just had a kid at the time and he, the way he saw Steph as, as a father to some daughters, really inspired him as a father to some daughters. And, and I think he left that warrior situation much different, much more respected professionally goes to LA. I mean, he ends up winning three titles. He's a three time champ. Um, and I just think he, over the last handful of years, he has become kind of, you know, a respected veteran voice that, that is willing to, to, you know, even in the Phoenix situation, I've heard that he was, you know, willing to speak up, you know, once he didn't like some stuff in the locker room. And, and I do think, uh, his, comfort with mike brown from a system perspective and also just um mike brown knowing that he is kind of willing to speak up and i think mike wants that a little bit more brought him in um the question is like you know what does he still have left how old is he now you probably know like 37 yeah something around there i'll pull it up real quick to make sure he keeps himself in good shape but at 35 35 okay i mean but you know for a center um well, last year in Dallas, he was really like that team needed a big, 
and he couldn't really crack the rotation. I think he played 300-something minutes, and for reference, Chemezi Metu was in the 800s, you know. But the year yeah. prior with Phoenix, he was more like 1,100 range, and I thought he was decent there. And it's not just Mike Brown, right? Like, it's Luke Laux a little bit, too, um, that he's familiar with. Luke Laux also spent that year with him in Phoenix last year, so a little bit of familiarity there. Um, but I do kind of look at Rashawn Holmes, and it's ironic they swap places. Like, I don't think Rashawn Holmes was just a bad basketball player, and that's why he couldn't play last year. I think it wasn't exactly friendly to the scheme wasn't exactly friendly to his play style. And I think you could kind of say the same about JaVale. Like I, I think a open court system, a, a really high paced basketball, getting to run some pick and roll with Malik Monk specifically makes a lot of sense to me having that lob threat. Um, but there's a lot of blunders that come with his play as well, right? Like I think the first game in Toronto or in Vancouver against Toronto, we got a pretty decent taste of like the JaVale McGee experience. You get back to back pick and rolls, one lob, one nice finish, and then you get him fouling a three point shooter or trying to throw an inbound with three seconds left full court and it goes flying out of bounds. Um, what do you think of relying on JaVale to be a backup big at this point in his career? And, and do you even think that's going to be the case on most nights? I think it might come down to a conversation between like him and Vizankov, him and Trey Lyles, and like you know who who are you prioritizing, who are you giving minutes to, and like you know Mike Brown obviously leans defense at times. There's a reason he brought him in. They they basically wasted money right on Nerlens Noel um, by bringing him in, so they really prioritized him. And um, I do think he'll have a role early in the season, and and I'm not sure how if that'll go well or not. Um, you know, it's the same thing that Dallas. It was a much more uh, harmful. Uh, partnership, right? Because they gave him like three years, twenty one million or something like that, and wave and stretched him after a year, and they promised him promised a starting, him starting spot. job. Yeah, 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 and that went really poorly early on. Um, so we'll see. I, as long as Javale is accepting of D, the DNPs that should probably come in certain matchups, certain nights, maybe certain stretches. If you know Vizankov is really hot and and some small ball type stuff is working. And Javel, which, you know, again, this is supposed to be his reputation at this point in his career. As long as he's been told, hey, you're not promised a starting spot, you should be able to say, hey, yeah, give me seven straight DMPs, but on the eighth game, when you need, you know, you want an extra rim protector, you want a lob threat, you want somebody to go against Jokic or something, foul him a few times, I'll go out on the floor and I'll do that. That should be his role. Um, and I would think the Kings will come to want to play small ball more. I think that's more who they should be. Um, I think that's, that's what makes them so dangerous, right? The spacing, everyone can shoot it around, you know, Sabonis and Fox. Uh, but, you know, I don't know. I, I was kind of questioning why the hell is Alex Lynn in the rotation early in that uh, Warrior series last year. But if you look like Alex Lynn kind of played. Okay. He, he was effective. The plus minus was pretty good. Um, but at the same time, by the end of the series, right, it was like small, 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 stay small keep Lynn out of the rotation regardless of how well he kind of was playing in his many roles so I don't know it's going to be a weird balance uh but the big thing is as long as JaVale accepts that his role is is fringe rotation and on any night it might be zero minutes then I think it's okay yeah I think the same I think Trey at the back of five was pretty successful last year I think you know JaVale obviously was unavailable last game but like matchups against Sarge like makes sense to go a little more small ball um we saw it work pretty well against guys like Rudy Gobert last year, obviously, just being able to pull him out the paint a little bit. Um, so I, I think that we'll still see that a good bit. And coaches mentioned the idea of Trey at the five still. Like, I, I still think that's very much in the cards. 
And I'm with you. I think JaVale, you know, maybe fairly often, but not every single night makes makes sense for sure. Did it stand out to you that Domas was taking a little bit of uh, catch-and-shoot jumpers in that Golden State game? It felt like a, the most personal I've seen a player take <laughs> a preseason game in a while, right? Yeah. I could, you tell me, did he shoot any threes in the, in the Lakers game? Not that I remember, no. Yeah. 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 And I looked, he, he only took five and only made one the entire seven game series against the Warriors. Yeah. And obviously I think he just thinking about him himself, I'm sure was burning about how that Warrior series went, but he's also heard it publicly, right? All summer, uh, you know, what Looney did to them, what the Warriors sagging off, uh, you know, scheme did. And I think he came out wanting to, you know, put a few threes on and he hit him. Uh, two straight right away. He had a little mid ranger. Um, I, I'd, I'd like to see that not against just the Warriors, right? Um, right. I don't know. That, that is kind of a question mark early in the season, uh, because I do think other teams will adopt that and see how it works. You know, the Warriors real, um, over exaggerated sag off, but the truth, I mean, the other teams, you don't really have like the loony Draymond type front line to execute it quite as well. Um, but, he he used to be a more aggressive jump shooter, right? In the sure. Indiana days, yeah. When he was back when he was playing sure. four in Oklahoma City as a rookie, right? Yeah, I think we've seen it. It's just like it wasn't within the flow of the offense last year, and it's obviously not his preference, right? He'd rather get guys involved, but he's got to be able to do it a little bit. I'm with you. It is. It does stand out that he really did it against Golden State, but he didn't do it in the first two games. I think there's definitely something to that. And he did it early, right? It's not like he yeah. wanted to do it all game. I just think he wanted to show it right away. Like, it. I'm not afraid to shoot it world, right? It wasn't just, hey, come on, Looney, I'm not afraid to shoot it. It was like right. general public. I can shoot it. I can make it. So, you know, watch out if you want to play this style. Right. And, yeah, like you said, they went down a little bit. He's got to do it a little bit more consistently, I think, before people totally – um, go away from or, or switch up and rethink how they maybe want to defend him in Sacramento as a whole. Um, I want to move a little to Golden State and kind of byproduct of that, like the Western landscape as a whole. But, you know, throw it to you pretty vague early impressions of some of the changes that Golden State has made, specifically, obviously, Chris Paul, how he could fit alongside Steph and some of these other guys. Yeah, when they made the uh, pool for Paul Swap, I didn't really like the um, value play of it, right? You know, you had a a younger player who I still think is very good. I think Jordan Poole is going to have a a high-level scoring season for a bad Wizards team this year, him and Kuzma. Um, And you had four years of of a 23-year-old ascending guard. Obviously, last season went a little haywire. But um, and you for for that, you got a 39-year-old who's – you know, a couple of years away from retirement, uh, hasn't really stayed healthy and you really only have one guaranteed season of him. Um, but you know, I, the reasons for it were financial freedom because of this tax apron. That was a big thing because they can get off his contract next year and, and probably play Clay Thompson. So it was kind of prioritizing Clay over pool. Uh, number one, two, uh, they had to kind of fix the chemistry, which we don't need to get too deep into but obviously uh you know bringing Draymond back they 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 felt it seemed uh that, that getting pulled out of the locker room might solve some stuff and then I will say having been around it like they are glowing about Chris Paul and the way he's playing the way he's acting professionally the leadership that he's bringing the seriousness to the situation um and he, he 
their styles that maybe don't seem like they mesh, right? Chris Paul's a slow it down, pick and roll guy. The Warriors are basically the opposite of that historically, but Chris Paul's really trying to adopt into the Warrior style. I mean, part of him professionally being very serious and, and intentional is, you know, after the first practice, he's out there for an hour working on like Steph Curry, like hitting handbacks. And we've seen it in the first two preseason games. If he gets the rebound, he's pushing, he's pushing. If uh, Steph gets the rebound, he's running the wing. Um, he's just really, really smart. And you knew that. I mean, everyone knows that, but you can just tell the way they talk about him. By, you know, I'm talking off the record, just off to the side. Like they're like, man, it's good to have this brain in our building. Uh, and we'll see if he stays healthy. Um, but the vibes around the team are very good. They're very confident. They're going to take this season much more serious than they took last regular season. Uh, the fringe additions, I think, help. You mentioned Sarich. I think he's a big upgrade over Jermichael Green, who just didn't work last year. Uh, Kaminga has been good in preseason. They're glowing about him. They've talked about how Chris Paul has really helped him. Um, we'll shot see when Draymond free throws comes back. I think Draymond, game. go ahead. He shot as many free throws as the Kings last game and made more. 17. He was really excited about that. I actually have a story coming out tomorrow, like a bigger, I sat down with Kerr and Kaminga just about this point of his career, but included in that was like the set. He was like really excited about the 17 free throws. People were texting him about it. Uh, but they need that. They, they are a really small, short, old, unathletic team. They're incredibly skilled and smart, right? They want to win on skill and smarts, but short, unathletic, old. And Kaminga is young, extremely athletic and, you know, puts pressure on the room. He led him in paint points last year. I think because he didn't really play much in the playoffs, people forget, like, he actually had a pretty good regular season. Wiggins left the team for, like, three months, and he played the Wiggins role, and he was playing 20-plus minutes a night, and he was, uh, you know, guarding the LaMelo balls of the world, the Devin Bookers. Like, he was getting stints, and he was pretty good individually defending, and he led them in paint points. Um and then the playoffs came. Wiggins was back. Gary Payton was back. He sank from the rotation. So, uh, they need to find a way. They need to unlock him this year because they just need so much to need what he brings. Um, so he's a key. Health is a major key. To me, that's my biggest question, right? Just because of the age. Uh, but if they're healthy and if Kaminga gives them a little bit, I think they're, they're right in the, like that mix right under Denver. Right under Denver. Okay. I, I'd forgotten until you mentioned it right now that Wiggins, all that stuff was last year that felt like a while ago. Um, so you think right under Denver kind of with Phoenix, I guess, last question for you, like where's, what sort of tiers do you see these teams in when it comes to regular season, Western conference finishes, both Sacramento golden state. Yeah. I mean, I look, I think most people would agree like consensus top pick right now is Denver. Um, I think I want to see Phoenix, that's another team whose health, right? It's less, it's not as, they're not as old maybe as the Warriors, but they are older. And also like Bradley Beals had a lot of injury issues and Kevin Durant obviously has. Booker's been, been pretty healthy most of his career, but you know, I, I wonder about that in the fit. I do like what they did around him. To me, they probably have the highest ceiling of the, the leftover under Denver t- uh, teams. Um, the Lakers are big. I don't, I think the Lakers are being a little overhyped, a little overvalued, but you, you know, you would put them in that. You know, two through seven range, um, yeah. which the Kings are obviously in Memphis. Once they get John Morant back, I, I want to see what how Marcus Smart works in that environment. Um, Warriors are obviously right there uh, in that mix too. I mean, it's such a clutter, right? I mean, that's the big thing. 
I think the West is being overhyped as like, oh, some Goliath that is just like overflowing with monster teams. Like, no, I think it's a lot of average to slightly above average teams that are all going to be battling for like two through nine. And then, you know, I'm not a Pelicans believer. I'm not sure I'm a Mavericks believer. Mm-hmm. I do think some of those teams that were, I think people are being a year early on the Thunder. I think the Thunder would tell you people are being a year early on the Thunder. Um, so I don't think it's as beefy all the way down to 11 as people say. And I certainly don't think the teams are as, you know, good as everyone's acting. I just think it's average to above average, which means it's going to be a bunch of like 49 to like 41 win teams battling it out. I think a lot of these teams, and I think Sacramento definitely falls into this, are just going to be talking about like, just try not to be in the play in. If you can be in that top six, you feel a whole lot better because single elimination basketball is just chaos six to seven like the difference between six and seven in my opinion has become the most important late season race and you know the warriors ended up getting up last year to six and it was that was important for them um but yeah like because it used to be nine and eight right you know and then the play-in came and it it created such layers that six and seven's huge really you know eight and nine still remains huge because you want to be on the front side of that play-in instead of the back side and then 10 11 is a huge one but i think six and seven i agree with you you just don't want to be in that mix because not only do you have to play a few extra games and your season's on the line but then you're kind of tired wobbling out of that and you you're playing the one or the two seed. absolutely um anthony slater thanks for hopping on man anthony slater of the athletic one of my favorite covers for both teams now golden state and sacramento um you mentioned you got that kuminga thing coming out anything else to keep an eye for yeah, we'll probably do a King story before the season, just kind of like the state of, of, of where they, things stand. You know, it's, it's really, this is the first true expectation season in a long time around here, right? I mean, there's always like the, could they be better? Could they break the playoff drought? But it's always felt like more hopeful than like true expectations. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I'd ask you like, uh, how, what is your early read? I mean, cause it feels like the preseason's gone a little bit more questionable than than probably they were hoping yeah i think especially offensively right for a team that was just like dominant last year and not that i worry about the offense i i find myself i to remind myself a lot that like in these bench units one or dearn of domas is going to be on the floor and this is going to look so much more smooth um there is like a little bit of new wrinkles to some of their offense that i think they're going to get adjusted to but when it comes down to it i just don't know how they get that much better defensively um i think so much of the same guys i think you could see a jump sure um, but it would take, I, I, it's hard for me to talk myself into it with the main additions being Duarte and McGee. And to your point, I do think they look better in that postseason series. I just wonder how long you can keep that up for throughout the course of the regular season, how it'll impact your offense. I'm sure they'd be fine moving down two spots offensively to move up five defensively, you know? So if that's what it takes, I think that makes sense. Um, but you know, I think it's, are you more prepared going into the postseason and can you get out of the first round is what it's going to come down to. You could lose more games in the regular season. You get out of the first round. That's a successful year, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I do wonder, can Davion Mitchell take a little leap? Obviously, it's got to be the shooting, then, right? Yeah, yeah, it's about his offense because if he can be playable more, then you could be better defensively. Uh, and then, I don't know. I mean, like Keegan Murray, I still – I. I do see what's happening offensively and it is like, I do think he's blossoming big there, but I also think he's, 
it just I don't know uh, defensively. He's I, I don't see. I think they mentioned like remember like the Kawhi Leonard uh, comparison of like the year two yeah, to three. Yeah. Oh, he's like figuring it out. It's like yeah, I do see that kind of offensively. Kawhi Leonard was like defensive player of the year. I just like Murray doesn't have that type of upside, but but he is big enough to matter more defensively and and maybe help them chip their way up the, the defensive rankings. Yeah, he definitely put on a little bit of muscle, um, and they'll definitely try. Last year they were putting him on Devin Booker, Anthony Edwards, and I don't think it went amazingly. Paul George, um, but he could do okay for moments. I, I like that they're giving him the challenge and you know, motivating him to get better in that aspect. And offensively, I do see the jump a little bit, like just kind of attacking closeouts, but he really doesn't have any sort of like bag right now or anything. You know, like if you think of a Keegan Murray dribble move, is there anything that comes to your mind? It's, it's probably like, like a very stamp. stationary. Yeah. But, you know, again, with the Kawhi Leonard stuff, it's like Kawhi's not like yep. breaking you down much. It's just like power, like very sharp, quick double dribble or, you know, two dribble here to a little you know, 14 footer that he's going to bump you off because he's, you know, super strong in like the rib cage area. Like I could see again, I could see that his offensive future trending towards, you know, elite Kawhi Leonard level. The problem again is Kawhi Leonard is like one of the best defensive wings in the last two decades. I do not see that in, in Keegan Murray's no. future. No, that's a tough one. I'll, I'll stick with my, the uh, Chris Middleton potential ceiling. Yeah. And a uh, keyword potential. Yeah. Um. Yeah, uh, what Chris Middleton was well forty three percent from three on like a high volume basically right. for a while. I mean that's that's what makes him special. It's 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 the shooting, and, right? Uh, I don't know. I thought I thought him and the starters looked good the other night. Where they go like eight of twelve in the first quarter. Mm-hmm. Like that was was a reminder, like you said, of you know while that well it can get a little janky with some of the combinations he's using, and obviously late in the game, crunch time is all basically camp invites like. Their starting lineup, or you know, their main guys when they're out there together, like they're still sharp and they're still, especially in that building, just so explosive offensively. Oh yeah, that starting group when it's Kevin played like something close to 150 more minutes than any other five-man combination last year. Uh, they got the chemistry, the ball pops. So I'm interested to see going into this year um, and going to be keeping this up throughout the course of the year. So appreciate you hopping on, Slater. Again, everybody, check out. Anthony Slater's work at The Athletic covering both Golden State and Sacramento. Uh, some of my work up on Sacktown Sports now. And thank you to listen, for listening to this episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. Hear from me again next couple days. See you all.